what is truth? That's a question that could be the beginning of a long conversation about life and the world and about what we know and what really matters. But if I said it like this, what is truth? That question could be more like an objection raised by someone who isn't sure there is such a thing as truth. Or if we simply said, what is truth? That question seems like a banner you could hang over the world that we live in where there is so much misinformation, so many ways to manipulate information, and just so much information, period, that it's tempting to decide you can't know the truth. And so you might as well just pick a team and agree with what they say is right. What is truth? That is the question that Pilate asked Jesus. Or maybe it was more of a statement. Pilate didn't seem particularly interested in knowing the truth. Perhaps he wasn't convinced that there was such a thing. But a Christian cannot maintain such a cynical stance toward truth. We cannot give up on knowing the truth and simply pick a tribe to agree with. After all, we have pledged our allegiance to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can't know the truth about everything, but we can know the truth. We do know the truth if we know Jesus. And like him, we must confess and bear witness to the truth, to Jesus himself. I invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 18, if you're not already there. John 18, beginning in verse 15. And we're going to go through the rest of this chapter this morning, or at least that's my hope. John 18, 15 through verse 40. And what we're going to see here is two different responses to the truth. Actually, three different responses to the truth, but focused on two. One of those is Peter's response to the truth, which is to deny it. And then Jesus' response to the truth, which is to confess it. And then, of course, we'll also see Pilate's response to the truth, which seems more like a denial that there is any such thing. Let me read for us John 18, beginning in verse 15. Jesus has already been arrested, betrayed. He's been brought before uh, the high priest. And now it says in verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That's probably John, who's writing this book. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. 
Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you, are, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So this section of scripture begins with Peter's denials. And part of what is so significant about Peter's denials is not only how brazenly he denies that he even knows Jesus, but he does this mere hours after he had asserted that he would be willing even to die for Jesus. So what happened in between? Why is Peter responding this way and what are the consequences for him? Well, Peter, the first time he denies Jesus, he denies that he is one of his disciples. In verse 17, it's a servant girl 
uh, at the courtyard of the high priest who asks him, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, no, I'm not. Uh, Now before, Peter would have been one of the most forward to confess that he was one of Jesus' disciples. So why is he denying now? Well, perhaps it's because he's gotten close enough to where Jesus is to observe what's happening to Jesus and he doesn't want to get kicked out. He doesn't want to be removed. He wants to be able to continue to observe what is happening with Jesus. Perhaps it's because he's comfortable there. There's a fire, it's cold outside that night, and he doesn't want to be shoved out into the darkness into the cold again. That may seem like a small and silly reason, but sometimes we make decisions for similar reasons, right? Sometimes we even do foolish things for similarly silly reasons. Perhaps it's because Peter is disillusioned at this point about who Jesus is. Perhaps part of what he's saying is, Uh, Something like we might would say, I don't even know who you are anymore. I thought I understood who Jesus was as the Messiah. I thought I knew what it meant that he was the promised king. But after Jesus just willingly gave himself up to this group of soldiers, wouldn't let me fight for him. I'm not even sure I know who he is anymore. I'm not even sure if I am his disciple anymore. Maybe Peter was disillusioned that Jesus didn't turn out to be the kind of Messiah Peter thought he was going to be. Peter, like many others, likely thought that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem like some kind of conqueror and run the Romans out and set Israel free. But Jesus didn't do that. He was doing something much more important. He was not coming to kill Israel's enemies, but to lay down his life so that those who were God's enemies could be made into God's friends. Peter didn't see that at the time. He wasn't expecting that, though Jesus had told him. Peter even denied an eyewitness. So he denied Jesus first in verse 17. He denies Jesus again in verse 25. When someone asks, aren't you one of his disciples? He says, no. And then a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, who's pretty likely to remember Peter's face, says, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? I'm pretty sure you were there. And even before an eyewitness, Peter says, not me. Denied that he was with Jesus, denied that he was a disciple of Jesus, and ended up denying Jesus three times, just like Jesus said that he would. It was only back in chapter 13 that Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Perhaps Peter would have been willing to lay down his life for Jesus if he could lay it down while his sword was in his hand. If he could go down fighting. If he thought Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to conquer. 
perhaps Peter would have been willing to spend his life in that effort. But when Jesus laid down his life, or prepared to, told Peter to lay down his sword, that's not what Peter thought he'd signed up for. So he denied He knew Jesus, denied, he followed Jesus, and Jesus had warned his disciples about this kind of thing and warns us about this kind of thing as well. Some of the more sobering words that Jesus speaks come in Matthew chapter 10 where he says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Those are sobering words. Those are troubling words. But we need to read those words alongside the full story of Peter. Because Peter denies Jesus three times, but that's not the end of his story. If that were the end of his story, then we would rightly expect for Peter to be denied by Jesus before his father. But we know that's not what happens because at the end of the Gospel of John, after Jesus has died and risen from the dead, he appears to his disciples, he speaks with Peter, and he famously asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Not number three was not lost on Peter. He knew what Jesus was referring to. Three times he asked Peter if he loved him, and three times Peter said, you know I do. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, All right, then feed my sheep, tend my flock. Peter repented of his denial. In fact, he became once again a bold confessor of Jesus. He was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost, less than two months after Jesus was executed in Jerusalem. Peter stood up and preached. That Jesus was the Messiah, that he was risen from the dead, that he was seated at God's right hand. Peter went on to be uh, arrested for preaching about Jesus. He and other apostles were beaten for preaching about Jesus and refusing to stop teaching about Jesus. So when Jesus says, whoever confesses me, acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father. Whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny before my Father. That's not a static statement. In other words, it doesn't mean if you ever deny Jesus at any time, that's it. You're done. No hope for you. If that was the case, there would have been no hope for Peter. Jesus would have been done with him. It would have been over. Even someone who has denied Jesus before men can repent and be restored like Peter was. Yes, we should be sobered by Jesus' warning that whoever denies him will also be denied. But we should remember that Jesus is willing to forgive even that if we turn back to him like Peter did. And we can be restored by Jesus like Peter was. Now, John weaves the denials of Peter and the confession of Jesus together in a way that it's it's very clear that Peter is functioning as sort of a a foil, almost an opposite of Jesus in this story. Because Peter, who's not the one they were looking for, not the one they sought to arrest, he keeps denying the truth about Jesus and about being Jesus' disciple. 
But Jesus, who is the one they did arrest, who's the one they are seeking to kill and crucify, he continues to speak the truth. We already saw earlier in chapter 18 last time that when they come looking for Jesus, Jesus says, that's me. He's not hiding. He's not trying to pretend it's not him. He acknowledges it's him. And then when he has to stand before these different men to give an account to them, to answer questions from them about who he is and what he's taught, he doesn't deny anything. He doesn't hide anything. He simply speaks the truth. So, for example, in verse 19, it says that the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And so what does Jesus say? He says, in effect, look, my ministry was not done in secret. I'm not some, you know, leader of some sort of like secret movement, hosting secret meetings. Nobody knows what we're talking about. Nobody knows what we're planning. Nobody knows what we stand for. All week before he was arrested, what was Jesus doing? He's speaking publicly in the temple, day after day. What has he been doing throughout his ministry? He goes into synagogues. He preaches. He heals. He stands on the side of a mountain. He teaches to crowds of people. Right? He speaks uh, from a boat one time, just put out from the shore, because there's so many people pressing in on him. Everybody knows what Jesus has been saying. Everybody knows what Jesus has been doing. None of it has been in secret. So he says, I've openly, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus never talked privately with his disciples. He doesn't mean that. Nobody thinks he means that. What he means is, what he teaches, he said consistently in public. There's no secret message that Jesus is hiding from the world. Jesus is speaking the truth wherever he goes and to whoever is willing to listen. So he says, if you want to know what I've been talking about, just ask the people who've been listening to me. They can tell you just as well as I can. No secrets with Jesus. Verse 22 says, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? He thought, you know, it sounded like he thought Jesus was copping an attitude or something, that he was being disrespectful to the high priest and answering that way. Instead of just... You know, saying, well, this is what I taught and this is what I said. The fact that he said, just ask somebody. I mean, I'd speak him. So he thinks he's being offensive to the high priest and strikes him. And Jesus' response is simply this. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike? If I'm not speaking the truth, prove it. If I am speaking the truth, what are you so upset about? Jesus consistently confesses the truth about himself, about his teaching, about why he came. In fact, if we skip down to the next uh, scene where Jesus is being questioned, now he's before Pilate. Pilate is the governor of Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem. Uh, Pilate's a Roman governor, so he's been put in place by the Romans to supervise what's going on in uh, Jerusalem and and, uh, in Judea. And so he's brought before Pilate, by the Jews, they bring him to Pilate, and Pilate questions him, and he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus wants to know, well, why are you asking that? Did somebody tell you I was the king of the Jews, or are you figuring this out on your own? And Pilate says, you know, basically, I'm not a Jew. Your people handed you over to me. What did you do? Why are they so mad at you? And Jesus answers, we we looked at this some last time, so I'll, I'll be brief on this verse, though it's very significant. Verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, yes, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you think I am. Not the kind of king you're used to. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Which is what Peter tried to do. Jesus stopped him. Because that's not the kind of king or the kind of kingdom that Jesus is or was bringing. And he says, my kingdom is not from the world. My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the rest of of the world. It's not like the kingdom that Caesar rules over. It's not like any other kingdom you've ever heard of. I'm not that kind of king, and this is not that kind of kingdom. So Pilate says to him, So you are a king. And then Jesus says, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Now let me let me ask you a question before we read the rest of that verse. What would you expect any other king to say at the end of that sentence for this purpose I was born to do what? to rule to conquer to reign, to be in charge this is why I exist this is why I'm here but though Jesus is a king the king of all kings though though Jesus does rule and reign he doesn't say that that's why he was born he says I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth how many kings have denied the truth in order to preserve their rule Jesus is not worried about preserving his rule he's committed to bearing witness to the truth. What truth? The truth about who God is. The truth about who He is. That He's God in the flesh. That He's the Messiah, the Savior. That He is the truth. As He said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. John told us at the beginning of this book, in John 1.14, the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why Jesus came. So we would know Him. So we would know the Father. So we would know the truth. And so He says there at the end of verse 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So everyone who belongs to the truth, everyone who belongs to God, they listen to Jesus. They recognize in His voice the ring of truth. It's just like Jesus said back in John 10. Those who are His sheep, they hear His voice and they follow Him. They know He's the shepherd. They don't listen to the strangers whose voice they don't recognize. They recognize the voice of Jesus and they follow Him. They listen to Him. And that's when Pilate says his infamous question that sounds more like a statement, what is truth? Maybe Pilate was jaded and cynical after his time in politics, right? Maybe he wasn't sure anybody could know the truth. 
that it wasn't really about truth, but it was about who has power. Plenty of people end up thinking that way. Perhaps that's why Pilate said what he did. But the sad reality for Pilate is that the truth was standing right there in front of him. The truth was looking him in the face. The truth was speaking to him. And Pilate didn't recognize it for what it was. Didn't recognize him for who he was. But Jesus' words and Pilate's words cause us to ask a question. What do you think about the truth? What is your response to truth? What is your response to Jesus' claim to bear witness to the truth? Like Pilate, do you dismiss that as unimportant? I mean, nobody can really know anyway. Are you skeptical about the possibility of anyone knowing the truth? Jesus said some nice things, but I mean, who really knows the truth about God or the world or the universe? Nobody can really know. Let's just all be nice. Or do you recognize that Jesus himself is the truth? There's no one else like him. As many who heard Jesus said, no one ever spoke like this man. You can be cynical about a lot of other people and their relationship to the truth. But what about Jesus? Do you see in him something different? Do you recognize in him someone who's willing to speak the truth no matter the cost? Someone who came to bear witness to the truth and who you are determined and devoted to listening to because you know he is the truth. The last thing I want to draw your attention to in this story is how John once again um, reveals to us the significance of Jesus' death. Why is this happening to him? Why is he willing to go through with this? And what is he accomplishing? He shows us this truth in some interesting ways. First of all, when Jesus is brought to Pilate's uh, headquarters in verse 28, right? It's taken from the high priest's house to Pilate's headquarters, the governor's headquarters. And John tells us, uh, he makes this statement that is just thick with irony. He says about the Jews, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. In other words, what's happening here is Jesus is about to be executed at Passover. It's one of the great feasts of Israel that they celebrate every year. And according to Old Testament law, there are plenty of things you could do that would defile you, make you unclean so that you wouldn't be able to participate at certain times. And so the, the Jews don't want to go into a Gentile's house, a Gentile's headquarters, Because if they do, then they'll have to go through a cleansing process that would make them unable to celebrate the Passover. They don't want to do that. What's ironic about that is that what is going to make them so much more unclean than entering Pilate's house is the fact that they are betraying an innocent man, handing him over to die unjustly. And not only that, but they don't recognize 
that they are betraying the one who is the true Passover lamb. The the whole point of the Passover is to remember how God delivered his people from Egypt. When they shed the blood of a Passover lamb, put it over the doorpost of their house, God's judgment passed over them and they were set free from slavery in Egypt. They remember that each year through the Passover. Jesus came as the ultimate Passover lamb to shed his blood so that God's judgment would pass over us if we trust in him, if his blood covers us, so that there's no condemnation for us and we are set free, not just from slavery, as great as that was, we are set free from sin and death. And here they are worried about entering Pilate's house, afraid they'll be defiled when they are distancing themselves from the only one who could cleanse them. When they ask Pilate to handle Jesus' case, Pilate says, why don't you guys handle it? Why don't you all deal with him according to your law? They say, well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They want Jesus to die. They haven't even told Pilate what the charge is. He says, what, is, what has this man done? They say, well, if he hadn't done anything bad, we wouldn't have even brought him. Well, that's not really an answer to the question, is it? They just want Pilate to do their dirty work for them. And they don't care how it's done. They just want Jesus dead, and they can't do it, so they turn him over to Pilate. So Pilate talks to Jesus, as we saw, they have this conversation about whether Jesus is king and what that means and what kind of kingdom he has. And then at the end of verse 38, Pilate goes back and he's talked to Jesus. He goes back outside to the Jews, John said, and he told them, I find no guilt in him. And that's a significant statement, right? I find no guilt in him. He's telling the Jews, you're about to kill an innocent man. If you want me to kill him, we're going to have to kill somebody who hasn't done anything wrong. But not only that, that statement is true of Jesus in a way it's not true of anybody else. You can be pronounced not guilty by a judge who examines you for a particular crime and says, I don't see any evidence that you did that. But in this instance, we know it's not just Pilate saying that Jesus is not guilty of whatever the Jews are trying to charge him with. Jesus is not guilty at 